You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear multi It. I am your host, Michael Kushner. I am so excited you're joining me for my 90th episode. I can't believe it's 90 episodes. It, like, seems like a lot, but, like, it, it doesn't seem like a lot, but so much has happened because I started right before the pandemic, so, like, wow, 90 episodes, 90 conversations with incredible artists, like Billy Porter and Rachel Brosnahan and Carol Burnett and Judy Gold, Carson Kressley, so many incredible people. What I love about this episode that it, it isn't celebrity-based, um, and I talk about that a lot about multi-hyphenating, like, you know, the original definition was uh, a celebrity who has multiple talents, and I was like, why does it have to be a celebrity? Why can't you just start, you know, having multiple talents and introduce yourself into the industry? And, um... That's why I love centering people that are from all walks of life in this industry, different professions, proficiencies, talents, uh, points of views, um, uh, ages, uh, uh, places in the industry. I think it's, um, I think it's really important, which is why I love this episode uh, featuring Lydia Renee Darling, who is based in the UK and is a younger artist who has such a wonderful perspective on the industry and is so positive and I can't wait for you to get into this episode but we have a lot to talk about this intro might be a little longer I'm getting inspired by Sarah Silverman (laughs) because sometimes she just jumps into her voicemails and other times she talks but she talks a lot in her episodes in a good way I love her um my husband and I oh yeah I got married my husband and I um we love her podcast and she you know there's such good conversation there and she also says a lot of things like sometimes i feel like i edit myself i'm honest with everyone listening but sometimes i feel like i edit myself i'm like oh maybe it's not the place no whatever i'm as i get into my 90s you see what i did there um i think i'm gonna bring you a more un like un unfiltered is not the right word it's just like uh I think I'm going to share more of what my perspective is and um, bring you bring you on a little bit of a different journey. Not that I haven't been honest with you already, but just uh, I think be a little more raw and a little more unfiltered. So let's start now, I guess, right? So 
I had an amazing gallery in P-Town from uh, Eric Lesh, so generous and let me spend a week in his gallery in Provincetown. And it was so amazing. I did sell work, which was really cool. And um, I just sort of was living like an artist, like, like life out of a movie. <laughs> it was really cool. It was like rainy and I had my puppy with me and people were walking by and I got to meet people then and sell work and I just felt you know like I was a middle-aged woman named Anne with long gray hair and a black turtleneck you know looking over her 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 glasses as she figures out how to work apple pay um that's my drag persona um but it was awesome we're tired we're full of love and food and alcohol and it was a great trip um but, you know, I, I continue, I was selling my photographs, my backstage photographs. And it's so funny because it's like, I've been photographing backstage for, this is how the industry doesn't get any easier for anyone, right? I've been photographing backstage since 2015. And I still have to like, remind people when I work with them, be like, this is for photographing backstage. Like, it's very simple. We've done this a million times before. Because there's so many moving parts, so many moving parts of this industry, and it's not about you. You're not the only one that exists. So if you think that you're ignoring, um, annoying someone, you're probably not because they're being annoyed by 800 other people more than you. Or you think you're asking for something, you're not, you're not the only person uh, asking for something. So, um, you know, it's it's you still have to fight for yourself, no matter where when you think you are in a certain in a part of your industry, in the industry, in your career, wherever someone else thinks, you know, you're in a certain part of your career, you always have to advocate for yourself. But um, here's to more photographing backstage at Broadway shows. I'm photographing Life of Pi. I'm photographing Parade. Um, and I have some other shows coming up, which I'm really, really, really excited about. But can we also talk about something that dominated the news for like a second? <laughs> And that was the Titan submersible. Now, a lot of people were were contacting me because they know about my Titanic uh, connection. And a lot of people think, like, you know, I had my past life tested. And I'm about to be on Myra from Soul Science Hypnosis, who um, brought me through that regression, that past life regression. I'm going to be on her podcast, so we're going to talk more about it, and I'll direct you to that episode. But... People, like, I don't think I am Molly Brown. <laughs> That's not what a past life is. Past life is past life. Energy, right? And I'm not the only one. It's like when I tell people that, you know, based on a past life regression session, we can deduce that, you know, I'm spiritually connected to Molly Brown and I was and I was her in a past life. And I think the definite scares people when you're like, I was her in a past life. When you say I, it, it seems as if I was her in, her in her past life based on what we've experienced or in the past life regression session and what I experienced in my life. Everyone has a different reaction, but what I do, what I do know is like people will hear, uh, people will hear that I am Molly Brown. I'm like, I'm not Molly Brown. I'm Michael Kushner. Like, <laughs> it has to do with the spiritual realm. It has to do with past lives. We believe in reincarnation in Judaism and. You know, there have been murders that were solved with past life information, which is really, really cool. But anyway, the Titan Submersible, 
that was wild. I think the most wild thing was watching people's response on social media. I mean, some of these memes and these, 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 you know, these, uh, you know, um, posts were, there were some really funny ones and we have to have to have humor in order to heal because that is a horrible thing to think about, right? Five people down two miles in the ocean and they just implode. Like we can't even really wrap our minds around that. But when we thought that they were running out of air, people were being really cruel, not funny, cruel. There's a difference, right? And I think that there's social media has sort of, um, propelled this lack of empathy and if you aren't like with us you're against us sort of a thing and i think i think people were were really wishing them to die down there and it's like it's not it's not that friends like we can look at how this is a reflection on the wealth and the corruption of the wealth we don't need them to die. We just need this to stop. This doesn't have to happen. It is a grave sight. People died here. When it comes to James Cameron and Bob Ballard and the treks that they do because they're based solely on science, we maintain cemeteries. We maintain, you know, protected areas, battlegrounds, uh, bur- burial grounds. The, the you know, Auschwitz is, is protected. Like, you know... We could protect the Titanic, but we don't need to take like a selfie with her, right? There's a difference. And I understand the sentiment of why everyone was so upset about this, but empathy is always a good choice. And you could find you could find humor in this. There were some great jokes. There was that like finding Nemo meme where the two pelican seagulls are sitting on the water and the bubbles go up and he's like really we're like nice and like flies away and it was (laughs) submersible like there's there's great stuff in there you know makes me miss joan rivers more wondering what she would say we can we can fight the sadness with humor but we don't have to get cruel there's a difference and we don't have to wish people dead and i was connecting it to my judaism because it's like you know even anne frank in her diary was like despite every despite whatever's what everyone is doing there's still she still believes that there's good in the world and you know i just don't think wishing someone dead is the right way to go we can hold them accountable and like you know end that program that they were doing and not put people's lives at risk that would be great but you know the end that they met is 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 it's horrible to think about but anyway moving on um speaking of empathy you know i just i saw just for us last night i was at the opening of just for us alex edelman's new show and it was incredible it's not a jewish play it is a play that centers around a lot of jewish themes including empathy and basically the premise of the show is that he goes to a neo-nazi meeting he is a jewish person that goes to a neo-nazi meeting in queens and hilarity ensues but also a lot of self-discovery Go see it. It's amazing. And I hope to have Alex on my podcast because, you know, he wrote it and is starring in it. Come on, multi-hyphenate. But I thought this there was something interesting also there, right? There was a person that was sitting in front of me. And the show was amazing. It got a critic's pick. Everyone is loving it. Everyone's obsessed. The Everyone leapt to their feet. The, the, the lights hadn't come back on yet. And everyone was, except this person in front of me who every time he said something specific in the show, they rolled their eyes and looked annoyed and 
I thought that was interesting. And their partner didn't understand it and, like, kept having to explain jokes. And they were the only person in front of me that did not stand in the whole theater and actually went on their phone during the applause. And then when the lights came off after Alex left, they just proclaimed to everyone around them, I hated that. That was so bad. And I was like, look, 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 look. If you're hating it, honestly, you're not listening to the show. But let's not, let's whatever. Because the show's incredible. Whatever. You're entitled to your opinion in terms of if you liked it or what you didn't like. Okay. Even though you're entitled to your opinion, you were still wrong because it was brilliant. But don't tell anyone. Anyway. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. This isn't a social media comment or a post. You are surrounded by the people that invested, that created, that produced, family, friends. And that's what you say. Wait till you're a five-minute walk away from the theater. Wait till you're home. Don't do it while the energy is still palpable. Why would you do that? We have to be better about our theater etiquette. And it's not just about snacking. It's not just about drinking. It is about how we compose ourselves, how we hold ourselves in the theater. If you have negative thoughts, even if they're positive, whatever it is, you don't have to do it while the audience is like grabbing their purses and like putting on their coats. You could wait. You can wait. And it doesn't have to be about you. You don't have to make it about you where like, wow, that was so... Wait. Leave the space. Call your family. Call your friends. Wait. My friend Sarah and I have a thing about call call your family where when we see on social media, you know, social media posts that should maybe be diary or journal posts, call, call, call your people. Call your people. Because those things... People see them, they hear them, and they start to think, oh, you're that person that does that on social media. You're the person that says that after a curtain call. Just wait and call your friends. Call your family. There's, you know, a sense right now of low energy, and I'm talking with a lot of people about this. There's a sense of low energy. And I get it. But we don't have to resort to meanness we don't have to resort to being bullies we don't have to do that we could be kind and advocate for ourselves take a breather if you need go away for the summer don't do anything for the summer a week a day two days whatever it is going to the gallery was great i barely answered emails i just was with my work and with the people of provincetown and it was fabulous and now i'm here i'm feeling a little more energized and ready to go. And I hope you are too. This is a great episode. Just a reminder, my book, How to Be a Multi-Hyphenate in the Theater Business, Conversations, Advice, and Tips from Dear Multi-Hyphenate, is out now. You can buy it online uh, uh, at Rutledge Publishing. You could do it with um, Barnes & Noble. You could buy it on Amazon. Or you can go to the Drama Bookshop and get it there. There's some signed copies there. Other than that, Enjoy the episode. Please rate, subscribe, comment, do all that good stuff. Please rate and subscribe and comment and, you know, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Please do that and tell your friends and family and all that good stuff. And follow on Instagram at the Michael Kushner or at Dear Multi-Hyphenate.
And before we jump into the episode, let's learn a little more about Lydia Renee Darling. Lydia Renee Darling is an actor, producer, and founder with a BFA in musical theater from Webster Conservatory of Theater Arts and an MA in writing for stage and broadcast media from the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. As a biracial second-generation Ghanaian-American, Lydia aims to explore identity, belonging, and mental health within heightened worlds and uses live immersive theater with digital interactive elements to enhance audience impact. Lydia is the founder of Oh My Gosh Creative Co., an international DEI audience development and co-production company. A systemic lack of access to visibility and guidance in the entertainment industry has resulted in fewer BIPOC professionals, making fewer and fewer BIPOC want to enter the industry, and so the cycle repeats. OMG breaks this vicious cycle of underrepresentation. At Oh My Gosh Creative Co., Lydia produces entertainment featuring marginalized creatives both on stage and backstage, and specializes in reaching audiences that reflect the diverse faces of those casts. She most recently served as associate producer and head of marketing for the UK tour of Vitamin D. You can find more of Lydia's professional credits on her website, which is LydiaReneeDarling.com. That's LydiaReneeDarling.com. Originally from Madison, Wisconsin, Lydia now splits her time between Chicago and as a Commonwealth citizen in London. Enjoy the episode. Hello, my new friend, Lydia Renee Darling. Hello. Oh, I got the full Lydia Renee. <laughs> you did. And that way we can move forward and I could be like, Lyd. Lyd yes, skis. I love that. Lidskis, the lids, lid the kid, all the lid, things. I love lid the kid. And now, since you were a darling living in London, yes. do you do you ever get any relation? You know, any like anyone I, that's like, <laughs> I get like people being just like, oh, darling, and then they're like, oh, but your name's also darling. They're not like any relation, but they're like, oh yeah, okay, darling, and then they're like, oh, darling, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's me. I just would immediately be like, like, it was like Wendy, your great, great, great grandma or something like that. Like, do you know Peter Pan? (laughs) Yes, I I feel like it's funny, too, because like, okay, so without saying what my actual like my legal last name is, Lydia Renee Darling's a stage name. And the Ah. reason I picked it is because I am German American. And my last name as a hint is one that every German American has. So I thought when I would be pulled up in a cast list, it would be like this name, this name, this name, this name, and I wanted to stand out. And then the irony is I moved to the UK anyway, where darling's more common. So it's like, I kind of just like shot myself in the foot because it would have been different here, but I feel like it fits the brand. So I'm glad I kept it. And it was totally on a whim. I was just deciding that I wanted to like, maybe changed my brand name for that reason for like the castless reason and i just had to pick a website domain and i just did it (laughs) so it's not even a fun story there's not even like a family connection it just happened what's in a stage name thank you you know it's yes yes and and that's what i need so okay so we have we have a few things to talk about here so you have found you are an you're a german american that that has found yourself in london Yes. Now, why, how, uh, what, because you graduated from Webster, which is yes. a, uh, a, a wonderful theater program in the Midwest in St. Louis, correct? Yes, yes. It's St. Louis. St. Louis. And yes. um, so how did you find yourself from the Midwest to across the pond? I mean, the short answer is Panic Masters. The long answer (laughs) is I'm now a two-time pandemic grad. So basically I did my undergrad at Webster 
um, did BFAMT. My showcase was literally, I think, March 12th, 2020. Wow. And so the next day is when Broadway went dark and everything. And I was called back along with some friends for the like Hamilton national tour. And I was really looking forward to it and felt like, wow, I'm finally here. I'm doing this mm-hmm. thing that I've trained for, you know, four years for. And then all of a sudden everything went dark. And when I was thinking about what to do next, I mean, I was just back home in Madison, like living with my mom, not even my old childhood bedroom. It was my sister's, my younger sister's childhood bedroom because she got mine when I left because I was like, certainly I'm never coming back here. Um, So I just kind of like looked back at what I had been kind of always wanting to do, but felt like because I was a conservatory grad, I couldn't. And for me, that was always travel. And um, so my dad's an immigrant. He's from Ghana. And then my mom's mom was from Germany. I had been in Japan interning for a little bit. Um, I studied abroad in Vienna for a little bit. And so it always felt like part of my life, but I just wasn't sure how to get it back. And for some reason, my answer to that was, well, I'm already taking classes, so I might as well get a master's. And then from there, the jump in logic was, well, if I get a master's, I might as well not do it in the U.S. It's very expensive. I like traveling. <laughs> so that's how I ended up in the U.K. And the program I did it, it's such a long name, um, but Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. Um, I met a friend doing like a virtual event and she got into one of their other programs. She recommended it. And I was like, well, I guess I'll take a stab at it. And if I get into my top two choices, I guess I'll go to grad school. And if I don't, then maybe I'll apply to three more. And then I got into both my top two. Mm. I had my pick. I wound up in London um, and definitely didn't expect to live abroad as an expat in London. It wasn't really on the map for me. Mm. Um, I always thought I'd go back to Japan or maybe in Germany since Mm. I still have family there. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just been fabulous. Like the community here is really uh, welcoming and and very sweet and i think british people um are a little quieter at first but once you kind of initiate conversation they get really excited that you're you're willing to open up to them it's like kind of a nice surprise for them for londoners so it's just been like a joy to be here the past year and a half so yeah long version (laughs) no that's that's why you're here you're here to talk about it um i've always had a connection with london First yeah. of all, you know, Mary Poppins is my favorite movie of all time. And yes. she, you know, I have her tattooed on my arm. So yes. she always leads me in the right direction. But I've always had a connection with London. And when I got to live there in 2012, studying abroad, I saw, you know, like 40 right. shows in five months. And yeah. um, I was just, uh, I just had went to a, a party for the uh, 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 producing team, um, Madison Wells. And oh, um sure. And uh, when I was there, I met, you know, a lot, there are a lot, it's, it's, there's a lot of interchangeable um, people that are in London. And, you know, so I was talking with some people and one, one wonderful gentleman, I was talking about some of the shows I saw and I said, oh, we were talking about Hay Fever. And I was like, ah, I saw that, uh, the 2012 production at the Noel Coward. And he goes, Oh, so you saw um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Olivia Coleman? And I said, no, I didn't see that production. He goes, well, that was, they were in that. And I was like, no, they weren't. What? You're like, oh, what? <laughs> Truthfully. I and I went I went home and I looked at my program and Phoebe Waller-Bridge yeah. and Olivia Coleman were in that show. And it's wild. that's something that I love about UK theater that, 
Um, I wish, you know, there are, there, it's same, same, but different with the two industries, right? Right, right. right. Um, but I feel like you just have, I don't know. Oh God, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth, but I do think that UK theater tends to, they invented the art form, right? So I think that they take more chances and people are willing to get more into the sandbox there. Mm -hmm. And while Americans, you know, we invented musical theater, but like, we are not old. We're not old. Right. UK is, is there's, there's some, um, there's some age there. It's a fine wine. So I think the stakes are lower, but the appreciation is higher. And, um, Right. I feel like it's the opposite in New York right now. And also in New York, we don't really know how to laugh right now. And, you know, the world is tough. The world is tough. So I understand why. Um, But I think we need to figure out how to add humor into healing. And right now we're very, very Mm -hmm. serious. And I feel like the UK market does a really good job of healing through humor. Um, So those are some uh, other than the logistics of like why the two markets are different. I think those are two very distinct uh distinct yeah. differences between you know the it's two. interesting that observation because i feel like it's something i found fascinating and like one of my professors is um polish british or british polish mm-hmm. um and something she kind of told me is she was like for you as like a black actor and like she was like in your in my opinion there's more opportunities for you in the u.s but for you as a black writer there's more opportunities for you in the UK. Wow. And I think that's why you see people like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, right, with Fleabag or Michaela Cole kind of start from this this place of theater and experimenting with their one-woman shows or their productions Mm -hmm. and being able to take it to something like streaming. Because in the UK, I think it's much more appreciated that you kind of get to have that, you know, solo practice and see it through development onto screen. And that's more of a transition like kind of a pipeline if you will and and in the u.s i feel like it's just a different beast in the sense that writers rooms are also way more popular so you have less of kind of that solo practice of taking something from stage to then to screen Mm. so i think the the way theater is practiced as well and even transition to other industries is also very different um and it's just fascinating because like hearing my professor say that as well, like specifically being, you know, a black woman in the field uh, mm-hmm. was a really interesting perspective to see how even within theater, it can really vary by that. Um, like, are you an actor writer or are you the performer and how that will affect where you're able to place yourself in each, each market. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, I think her instinct was right. Like there's this, great book i think it's called slay in your lane that i was reading and um, (laughs) that's amazing and it's so good and in it they write a lot of essays about you know black women in media and these different spaces and one of it is um that the joke is the baptist stands for it's so bad black actors fuck off to america um (laughs) so it's it's fascinating (laughs) because you do see this with people like idris right um or with john boyega they kind of gain their prominence in these more like u.s-based markets and then it's only then that they're kind of given the appreciation back home but on the writer side it seems like it's more homegrown Mm -hmm. um which is fascinating so it's both markets have their own like intricacies and and issues i think they need to overcome in terms of like accessibility and and gatekeeping Mm -hmm. but different challenges as well in like different 
parts of the actor writer process, which is just fascinating to like experience both now. So yeah, hundred percent. So when you, what were some of the logistics you had to go through? Because I have a lot of, um, a lot of listeners that want to, uh, expand into the UK market. Yeah. What were some of the challenges and the logistics that you faced Mm -hmm. in terms of being like, all right, I'm here for school and I'm going to stay here. Like what? Because I I want this conversation. I want people to be able to walk away with tangible steps and experiences from. So like literally, what did you have to do in order to like be like and and plant your feet? That's a great question. And I wish people had been more concrete with me kind of about it instead of just like a theoretical journey. Mm -hmm. And so kind of the the first bit of advice or wisdom I have is like, if you're branching into the UK market post-Brexit, it's going to be a nightmare. And I don't say that to dissuade you, just to Mm -hmm. remind you that like what I did was very specific. So because I did a UK accredited course, I was then eligible if it's anything from a bachelor's up to get on a, a graduate route visa, which is new. They only introduced that, I think, in 2020 or 2021. Um, So many of the expats I know here didn't have access to it prior to like, you know, a few years ago. Um, It makes things easier because once you're finished with your student visa, you can stay here for up to two years. If you get a PhD level, you can stay here up to three and you can do any type of work. You can be self-employed. You can act. You can do anything but be a professional sports person. Now, I will say, which I didn't have to worry about because I'm a theater girly. (laughs) Um, I will say (laughs) the drawback, though, um, that you have to be careful about is when you're on a student visa, you cannot do any type of like performing arts work. And they were very specific with me about like, even though you're on this program, you can't be paid for any writing work. You can't be paid like you can't do any student like you cannot do it. Um, so you do wow. have to be very careful while you're on that like transitory period. And that can be tough. Cause let's say my master's program was here was a year, but let's say you're here for two years or more, you know, on your student visa, you kind of effectively can't do a certain level of work for a while. Um, and that is the, lo- the logistical hurdle of the visas. Um, I would also say something that I, I kind of had a misconception about is that you have universal health care now. Um, that's not necessarily true. Like you're paying for your healthcare still. So when I pay for my visa, you also have something called an NHS surcharge. So you're still paying to use the NHS. Um, and then you pay for your prescriptions here still. Um, and if you want to get in and see someone faster, because there are like record waiting lists here for the UK, because the NHS is struggling a lot and not supported as much as they should be, in my humble opinion, uh-huh. um, you'll probably have to still see a private GP. Now it's cheaper than it would be in the US, but like, mm-hmm. I wish people had told me more like still budget that in because you will still be paying for it with your visa and those costs can also add up. Um, So I think those are the two big logistical things with like visas and um, like medical care that are really helpful to know. And I think other than that, I mean, I'll be honest, I came in a pretty good position to move because even though it was incredibly stressful and very difficult, like I didn't get... My, the approval I needed to come over until literally I got here the day before I started school mm. and I had a mattress delivered to my house that got stolen. That was a long story. Ended up sleeping on the floor for a week, um, had food poisoning. It was awful. Um, <laughs> but because I, you know, I, I am open about the fact that I was like a recent grad. I was a single adult. Like I don't have any kids. I don't have a partner. I don't have a mortgage. It was way easier for me to come over and pick up my entire life um, 
And if I wanted to go back um, or split time, it's easier for me than say somebody who's, you know, returning to education or they have a partner. So, you know, I'm also conscious giving the advice that like you should go for it um, and you're allowed to change your mind, you know, because that is important advice that also it's going to be harder for others to change their mind than it would be for me someone who's coming kind of solo and really is only responsible for, for me, myself and I. Um, so I feel like that was a huge ramble, but it is a very much a logistical nightmare, but also so worth it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, that's, I, I hope that anyone listening takes all that down because it's, you know, that's helpful. I think we all sort of go, uh, I'm just going to go there and it's, I'm going to do this and it's going to be, you right. know, all wonderful, but it's like, well, this isn't a vacation anymore. This is right. now, now you have to figure out how to survive and how to work. And, and yes. you and I, we have, um, and health insurance and, you know, you and I have something strange in common and that's, we slept on the floor of the first night in London. <laughs> so the way that the program was scheduled um, yeah. was we flew to London and stayed in a hotel for like four nights while we okay. um, were given a sheet of paper that was like, go. It was like a go see in America's Next Top Model. It was like, we gotten, we we grabbed our roommates, the people that were gonna, our flatmates, the people that yeah. we were gonna be living with and got into a cab and would go to the addresses and on our Labara top-up phone, because it was 2012 right. before we like yes. did an international plan on an iPhone, because I'm old. Um, we, uh, you know, would We've see still if got Labaras here. Don't worry about I it. I love it. I still have. Thing. I still have mine. I was like, oh, I can't I let that. this go. Well, um, when I first came to London, because my dad's Ghanaian, we had some family in the diaspora that were in London, and when I first came. I remember specifically it was the Diamond Jubilee because it was almost exactly 10 years to the dot when I like moved here, moved here, which is insane. But I still have like my original Oyster card and like the holder from like over a decade ago. My, my wallet's in the other room. I have my Oyster card in my wallet. I There are just okay. certain things that I can't look. It has my picture on it too. And I did a, t a shirtless picture on my Oyster card. It literally... I don't have a shirt on. I was like, what? Like, who am I? I really love that level of confidence though. Oh, still got it, baby. Um, <laughs> yes. So uh, I, uh, we went, we got, we found a flat and um, within yeah. the first day. So we were only yeah. in the hotel for like two nights or something. Okay. Okay. Um, I think we like, we, we actually were in the hotel longer just because we're like we have the rooms might as well stay in it right. and then we'll you know just we're like ooh lovely um and the night the first night in our flat when we moved in yeah. we went to gay we went to heaven something yeah 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 and my ex in college who i had yeah. been on and off in a tumultuous civil war inspiring battle between friends and people in our class um not to sound dramatic or anything um but we had broken up for the 18th time again sure. and then decided to rekindle um on the like first <laughs> or second night of london not tell anyone and then okay when we went home to our flat, well, to my flat, he had come with me and my flatmate wasn't too happy about it and punished, banished us to the kitchen where we slept on the floor. Serious? Uh-huh. College. 
college and yeah. slept on the floor yeah. of the kitchen. I love that I said night. seriously when I'm fully like, no, we were all that level of petty, especially in like theater program, constant, constant petty. Are you so, kidding me? Of fair. course, of course we were. <laughs> and while of course I was like, oh my God, what a bitch. I, it's it's a great story. And it was, you know, it's a great memory and, and, and absolutely hysterical, but um, we lived you, on- You have to have those kinds of like, like every time I go through something like that now, especially going abroad, it's just kind of like, you have to think about how funny it is when you're going to be able to tell it later. Otherwise, how do you get through it? You know? Of like, course. Oh my, my, my bachelor party that I just had you know, a week and a half, two weeks ago in NOLA was like that as well. It was just, it was just a oh. barrel. It was a barrel of laughs for two days and it felt, um, it felt free. I think, you know, yeah. it was, there was no responsibility for two, for two whole days and Right, right, right. It was just, which I haven't felt in so long because, you know, as as multi-hyphenates, we have a lot of responsibility. We have, you know, yeah. our own companies. You have your own company. Oh my gosh, Creative Co. We do. So do. talk to me about establishing your own company in a in a new country. Um what that uh what that brought you, that the happiness, the service, the troubles, like what yeah. is your experience and why did you why did you start oh my gosh creative co when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, the, the wild thing is, like, looking back, I can see all the pieces connect that I don't, that I didn't really see at the time. So, mm -hmm. like, when I was in Vienna and I was studying, I did... I guess it would qualify in the UK as a PG dip, but like in entrepreneurship and small business management. And I was always interested in, in the business side of things, but uh -huh. I always thought like maybe I'll open a theater or a record label. I never thought I'd open like a marketing slash co-producing company. Mm -hmm. um, so when I came to the UK, um, I lost my job <laughs> like the first day, second day. And I was sort of like, well, like I, you know, have got to make my living. I'm here on my own. I can't not have a job, but I also can't take on like full-time work because mm -hmm. I'm on a visa. Um, so it just became like, all right, well, I'm the only type of, it is classic me to accidentally fall into starting a business. You know what I mean? I just was like, yeah, I know how to set up a website. I can do that. I'll build out a brand. It's fine. I'll do some, right. you know, sketching on the iPad. And it's just like, it just tumbled and tumbled and spiraled into, oh God, I have a I girl. It's that TikTok audio of like, I girl boss too hard. And now I have a business. Um, but essentially I was like already working in marketing. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do more entertainment marketing to also meet with people as an actor that I would be working with 
if I was, you know, an actor or commissioned by a theater to write. And so I just started sending out messages to try and get to know the marketing departments of like the Royal Court, for example. Mm. Um, and they were responsive. And because I also had this training that I did in the panorama with Film North about like inclusive and diverse filmmaking, I had this unique DEI blend on marketing. Mm -hmm. So essentially the company you know statistically speaking most of like box office sales happen when at least half of the cast is global majority right mm -hmm. and there was just a really interesting statistic that came out showing that uh, black households are one of the highest groups of like streamers in terms of you know paying mm -hmm. for streaming and for mm -hmm. entertainment and so my kind of mission is like for me morally i just think it's right to have global majority people be represented as what they are because they're not minorities right and our entertainment doesn't have the same borders it once did you know it's it's digital even theater now doesn't have the same borders it once did um and and so it's not just that morally for me i i have that connection but it's also like on an economic level there's this awesome study by oh gosh i think it's jimsy and partners that says like you could get millions, almost $7 million more in sales if you address some of the economic gaps, uh, the, the, the racial gaps in the entertainment industry. And so I was like, okay, well, what can I do there from a comms perspective? So mm -hmm. that's basically how I started the business. And then it just, again, girl boss too hard, started working with the Royal Court. Um, and then I ended up doing like co-producing or sorry, associate producing this theatrical tour across the UK, short tour of an all-female um, South Asian play called Vitamin D um, that sold out in all but one location, which we're very proud of. And it's very close to selling out of that one location. So that's just sort of how it spiraled. And then I, I looked back and I was like, wow, what I did out of necessity, you know, and, and just needing to stay afloat in this foreign country. And it was absolutely terrifying, right? Because mm -hmm. this is also the first time I'm really out on my own, mm -hmm. um, to be honest, because I was a pandemic grad. Um, and then all of a sudden it also became a business and I'm an expat <laughs> and I have no friends or family and I have no job. And it turned into this very um, like fulfilling, flexible, supportive, uh, uh, like piece of my life alongside acting. And it started to kind of create conversations around diversity and inclusion in the industry mm -hmm. that I feel like we have been talking about more, um, but there isn't necessarily a name for what that is yet. Mm. Um, so I'm just really grateful to be part of those conversations and to now be someone who's trusted to talk about, you know, those conversations in like a theatrical setting. And um, it's just been an honor in in that sense um a rocky ride for sure very mm. frightening um but also very rewarding to be able to look back and say like well hey this theater is now implementing xyz you know for its audience outreach to like the mena community because of something i did mm. um so that's been a year and a half since it was founded um and just on a whim like I, I think i told you before we started like i just needed something to name the brand that was separate from my personal brand right because mm -hmm. i already, already had my website and um i just was looking through things i said a lot and i realized that when i am about to say 
I'm sorry. I say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Or, oh my gosh, no worries. Oh my gosh, don't worry about it. It's such a Midwestern thing. So it was just, oh my gosh, Creative Co. And something that started on this whim out of necessity has just blossomed. And I'm very, very grateful. Very, very grateful for it. That's amazing. Because when you first emailed me uh, to start this conversation, you said that, oh my gosh, Creative Co. Um, has not just provided you with financial stability, which I always say- yeah. I always say multi-hyphenating is a, is the only way is the only lucrative yeah. way of creating in the in the theater, television, and film industries. 100%. It's the 100%. only way. And I feel like people can challenge me, but I feel like every multi-hyphenate that I know has yes. not had a for now or survival job. Right. They have turned their side gig, their creative hobby into a lucrative business that then informs all of their other hyphens and there's no shame for a survival or for now job absolutely not like but if you have the opportunity to grow out of it why can't you and this is a way for you to establish your own business therefore create your own schedule and audition for the projects that you then want to go in because i don't necessarily believe I don't necessarily believe that once you establish yourself in a certain way, you don't have to go out on every audition. You could just audition for the things that provide you happiness. You can create any experience you want as an actor and you don't have to go to every yes. single audition. That's old school. It's not. It's, it's it's exactly that. It's It's breaking out of this scarcity mindset because you have something else that can support you, not just financially, but also, you know, you have creative validation and skills in this other place so not all of your eggs emotionally mm-hmm. and financially are in one basket and um mm-hmm. i think that that just makes it so much uh less anxiety fueled especially for like me a type a overachiever go-getter you know goody two-shoes yeah. type yeah right? it makes it much easier to kind of you know balance the day-to-day when you know you've got kind of this other uh support beam you know so if one of them goes down one of your table legs goes down maybe not feeling the best but the table's still up and i think that's the benefit of being a multi-hyphenate in the financial sense in the like motivation sense um in the ambition sense it's easier to kind of keep going at least in my personal experience and i know plenty of people who are doing the survival or just for now jobs and they're like killing it and they're happy um but you can if you want to transition and find more um definitely i think that transition point can be really difficult like the past Mm -hmm. year and a half was really difficult Mm -hmm. um and it doesn't necessarily mean you can start flexibly working right away you know a lot of people out there pushing like freelancing for example and like you can earn six figures are doing that because they had like a steady amazing corporate job first right all their cash then jump ship you know right Um, so it's definitely also difficult but i think uh it's it's all dependent on um what you want and kind of after you've seen through that survival job or whatever for now job you have deciding where you want to pivot next and and if that could be a flexible fit um i'm right now in 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 uh you know i'm teaching theater business with strasburg at nyu and yeah um I'm working with my students on why they do what they do. And this past class, they really, really, not only in, it impressed me, but inspired me with the work that they brought in because I yeah. have them work on their why statements because then it informs all of the rest of the work that they do for the rest of the semester. And I was so, so inspired and so impressed by what they did. Yeah. And 
I think, and people don't really, when I work with students, when I work with clients on why they do what they do, I don't think they understand how important it is until they start applying it. It's yes. not, it's not just a thing to have that's like, it's, it's not just meant to be like an away message on AOL instant messenger. <laughs> it's not meant to like be your, you know, your, your, your Instagram bio. It's not supposed to be that right. it's supposed to be a guideline and a principle for the things that you commit yourself to, because when you commit, when I think a, a lot of times when artists are frustrated in a situation it's because yeah. they've committed themselves to something that isn't a part of their why or who they are as an artist right. or how they want to relate to the world and a hundred percent it's going back to to values and all about values i will preach the book until the day i die i've talked about it so much but making your life as an artist is just one of the best books you can oh, read cool. and if you get it, um, you know, the PDF, it's free. It's a suggested donation, That's but nice. it was just signed reading to us in like in, in my BFA. And um, he always says it's more important to keep your mission and stop making art mm -hmm. than to keep making art without a mission. Um, and that, that didn't sit well with me at first. Cause I was like, well, I'd never stop being an actor. Why would I give up? Like, right. That's a cop out. But right. um, your, your mission guides you throughout your life i think it's something like an average of 13 career or job changes for each person mm -hmm. um, by the time they finish their career wow so i think it's it's not just throughout your career it's also continuously checking in on your values and you're right when things feel like they're not fitting it's it's not necessarily about the goal like the mm -hmm. surface level goal it's what are my values are my actions and the work i'm taking on in alignment with my values um, and it's always going back to that like core, um, like check-in time and doing it as often as you can. And and it's practice, right? I always say yes. just when you find your why statement, it changes because the world affects it, right? Like surviving a global pandemic is a part of my why statement because I did and it informs everything that I do. So through surviving a global pandemic, I produce non-quotidian artistry that benefits the world around me. Like, damn, you know, like it's specific right. and it says the who, the what, the where, the when, and the how so that I could say, yeah, or no, it's a certain projects. And I do now, I do because yes. I have that to protect me. I go, I'm not going to say yes to that because it doesn't, it doesn't fit with what my, with what my right. why is. And, you know, we were talking about this briefly before the episode started but you know i'm gonna go film my grandma um who's turning 92 in october and there's she's yeah. saying things recently about our family that i'm like what 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 do you mean and um i want to get those on camera because you know those are stories that we're not going to have forever unless right. i do my job and i uh, ask those questions and um, so I'm bringing my my film camera and I'm gonna set up you know some lighting and some sound and and make and film it well so that I can potentially turn this into a documentary that that feels an extension of my why and you know right. that's Jewish history and my grandma has a very specific um, um relationship to jewish history and the time that she right, grew up right. in in the time that she grew up in america and um 
I just need to capture that. And you were saying that you were thinking of doing that with your father. Yeah, I, so when my dad turned 60, um, I got him a book I found at, at Barnes and Noble. It was like titled, I want to learn more about you. Um, mm. And I gave that to him on for his birthday gift, because I said, I, I, I want you to fill this out, you know, for, for all of us, you know, mm -hmm. not just as a birthday present from me to you that I, I want to read later, but there is so much, you know, it, it's interesting kind of what you said about your grandmother having a very specific relationship with kind of Jewish history in the U S because, you know, my dad's Ghanaian, he's like, Oh gosh, going to be 66 now. Mm -hmm. um, and he came over in like the early seventies um and is also an independence baby right so he was born just after you know ghana became an independent country and left the commonwealth and it's a very specific perspective and viewpoint in history that i want to capture not just for me but you know i think the Ghanaian community as a whole you know being able to talk to my brothers and sisters or friends who are Ghanaian about like how we're kind of grappling with our identities now, you know, as mm -hmm. Americans or as, you know, British Ghanaians or as former members of the Commonwealth um, and also handing it down to your family. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a reflection of those inner values, like the stories you not just tell, but preserve, right? Like mm -hmm. whose stories are you platforming and why, whether or not it's the people close to you, you know, or it's on stage. It's, it's very much a reflection of that inner, inner work and mm -hmm. and what's below the surface yeah i mean jewish you know uh jewish culture is so much is based so much in preservation you know right right the stories the carrying down the not forgetting the yes you know and and i feel like it's it's such a part of me to be like what is this how can i capture it and right Right. And that's and that's what I think makes multi-hyphenates really real. That's why I say, you know, and I feel like you would appreciate this, but I say, and whenever I start a class with a new group um, that I'm, that I'm, you know, leading, I always ask them what a multi-hyphenate is to them. And then I ask them once we just, once we discover what it is, an artist who has multiple proficiencies, which cross pollinate help versus professional capabilities. I ask them who multi-hyphenates are. Like who are, who are some multi-hyphenates that we all know? And then I go, okay, who are these people that we just mentioned? And they go, usually they'll be like, they're, they're, they're hard workers. They're, they're, um, they do a lot of things. I'm like, yeah, but who are they? Sure. Who are they? Who are they as people in the world? Um, they're right. good people. I'm like, no, who are they? And every once in a while I'll get a, they're from marginalized communities. They're from decentered communities. And like, exactly. Multi-hyphenating right. is, is born out of the need to tell a story because no one is asking you to do it. And in a right. industry that is dominated by cis, straight, white males. Right, right. Um, the reason why stories of color and Jewish stories and trans stories and LGBTQI plus stories and stories with featuring artists with disabilities are being centered now is because those people are producing and writing and directing and starring them. That's the only reason why. Um, so, you know, multi-hyphenating is social, and I say this a lot and I write this in my book, 
But multi-hyphenating is socially responsible because it's lucrative. And also when you are telling those stories and and centering other stories and perspectives, you are also then hiring people, paying their, helping people pay their bills to create art. You are literally creating jobs in this, in this economy. And that's why multi-hyphenating is really important. And I think a lot of people think, oh my God, you do so much. How do you do it? Blah, blah, blah. There's no other way I can communicate with the world. Right. You know? Right. So it's um, it's exactly that balance of it's, it's socially impactful (laughs) and it's, I won't say economically because that sounds a little uber commercial, but (laughs) it's sustainable. It's creating Mm -hmm. sustainable practices for others because, you know, I I have a very dear friend who left our conservatory um, and we still keep in contact, even though we didn't necessarily graduate together. They're flying all over the world doing amazing things. And something they've always said is like, I go back to Webster people first for Mm -hmm. opportunities or this or that, because I want to see like our people or I want to help my people get work. And I think it's what you said of, when you're seeing that, okay, no one else is asking me to create this or no one is creating this this supply, but I know there is a demand because I know my own community or I know my own family. It's it's stepping up and saying, okay, you know, we have to make this happen somehow. And I think that's why multi-hyphenism is also more and more kind of common now in like media spaces because we're seeing people like Donald Glover slash childish Gambino, you know, like telling stories in a way that's like authentic to his own background and, and also bringing in people from the community that wouldn't have had a say otherwise, right? Because there is the demand that supply just isn't coming from that kind of old school corporate mm-hmm. production structure. Um, unfortunately. It's so funny that you say you don't want to say economically because it sounds commercial, but it 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 is it is at that level now and it has been since yeah. you know since the 40s i mean look at mel brooks right mel brooks right. you know act uh, starred in directed produced and wrote his own films uh oprah Whoopi goldberg right Issa ray now aquafina um and now um you know lin-manuel miranda look at hamilton sure. it is a right. billion dollar enterprise and right so it is it is a when we talk about multi-hyphenating, it's not this thing that it's like, you know, there's there's this thing that people are doing and it's called multi. No, it is right. literally, it has made people so much money for many years. And that's true. That's a that's an excellent point. The, and but, even like old school Renaissance people, right? Like I saw, this is going to sound random, but I was watching a YouTube video <laughs> about like the power of journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't exactly about that. It was about the ENTJ personality, which I hate. And right. um, the host said, like, I've told men or people who identify as men to start journaling. And they say like, oh no, that's for women. But then he goes, think about Leonardo da Vinci. These people journaled. And I was like, oh my gosh, so many Renaissance people are multi-hyphenates. Yeah. And these practices are hundreds upon hundreds of years old. And they do find that level of financial sustainability um, Mm -hmm. because they may have artistic patrons, 
but they also have a million other experiments on the side, you know, to continue their scientific or exploratory or artistic work. And it is much more common um, and much more storied and historic than we we probably think. I think it's just now this new, exciting kind of like uh, a fresh look um, in the digital age that's given it kind of this new name, multi-hyphenate versus renaissance person. Well, I think to your point and why you don't want to say it's commercial or mm. it's economically fruitful or whatever it is, is because we are in a society where all of a sudden we've decided that you have to do one thing in order to succeed. Right. I think it has become this like American value of you wake up, you pick up your coffee, you go to your you go to your job at 9 a.m. and you leave, right. you clock out at 5 p.m. How could I possibly do more than one thing if I want to? Because, you know, it's what's the American dream, right? It doesn't, it's not based on self-advocacy and self-creation it's sure based on putting your talent and power in someone else's power so i think we've forgotten mm -hmm. you know since the 50s that american dream vibe we've forgotten our power in our own perspective and yeah it does take more work right. it does take more risk but eventually you create something that other people start to invest in and um as an audience as literal investors <laughs> as buyers right. as as consumers and so there is this uh it's not it's not as if it's sort of in my way bridging like the right brain the right-sided brain to the left-sided right. brain this like very much so you know but um that's why it's, it's, it, yeah it's important it's it's self-sustaining in that way, yeah. if that makes sense, because it keeps on giving. There's a skill you can always use or tap into. And, you know, I'm not dogging on people who are just going for acting and maybe have like a day job, 100%, like it's your Do own it. decision. Yeah. Um, but something I, I notice is like it, the level of sustainability gets tough because you are only like as an actor, let's say consuming, like you are mm -hmm. only like waiting for the decision from someone else. Yeah. And when you are, let's say an actor, writer, actor, producer, whatever your hyphens are, there is more of this flywheel that you're creating yourself versus always have to wait on, uh, always having to wait on someone else's decision mm -hmm. um, or someone else to give the power to you. So it is definitely more work, but um in the sense, not even just like a career ladder perspective of achieving a certain goal, it just also allows you to feel more empowered and it's mm -hmm. self-sustaining in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think for me especially, like, you know, even though I'd say my primary hyphen or like my heart center at this season in my life is still actor, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, you have these other hyphens to support kind of the long term sustainability. It goes back to that sort of, you know, both the financial sustainability, but also knowing that you have self-worth outside of just this one particular craft um, that you can lean on. That's so, so important. And I wish um, it was talked more about in like kind of theatrical programs etc which is why it's so great that you're able to you know teach a course about theater business and have that be you know something people are that's in demand and people are wanting and um, because i think particularly 
kind of what you said about like people will invest as audiences or literal investors like I'm not saying the digital space is perfect. It's definitely the wild west in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. Not good, uh, but it is definitely more democratized in terms of like people like Issa Rae can put out Awkward Black Girl and there is a demand and that mm -hmm. audience will see it. It mm -hmm. will be pushed through development. Um, so there's much, there's a, I think we have a particularly, we have a level of privilege that maybe prior generations didn't have. Um, to have access to kind of reach out and connect with each other in that way to kind of create this self-sustaining machine that lives with audiences and the creator versus just the investors that goes to the creator that then goes to the audiences. It's more of a symbiotic relationship. And understanding when you're going to do something because that it's the right. it's when you're not waiting for someone to tell you, oh, congrats, you're cast in the show. It's understanding, right. oh, I this thing happened in my life and I'm going to turn this into it's a reflection of what's happening now and I'm going to turn it into a short film or I'm going to turn it into a play and we'll do a reading where we're going to make this into a web yes. series, like whatever it is. Because I write about this in the book about the concept of SOTS and I learned about it in college and it's an Anne Bogart viewpoints. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's part of Anne Bogart's viewpoints and Dr. Norm Johnson, my professor, taught us about it when we were... Um, following impulses and to not let the SOTS train leave the station to like board the SOTS train. When you feel that impulse, like take, take it. Right. And it's the same thing with multi-hyphenating, like understanding like, okay, you have this perspective in the story and it's matching up with what is happening socioeconomically. Right. Now is the time to tell it. Don't let it leave the station now. And that is multi-hyphenating. It allows you to be a, bigger part of the world more again it's socially responsible it is yes. it allows you to be a part of the stories that are being told today it's not just how to yes. do it or 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 what to do it's when to do it and and 100% important 100% it's it's that direct response mm -hmm. and i remember in between like my masters and undergrad um just like taking all these online courses and trying to figure out what my next move was. And I ended up doing this like short film over Zoom, um, kind of about like a police brutality and its effect on like a friendship group. So mm -hmm. never talking about the violence or the victim or, you know, trauma porn, but it was because of um, not necessarily just George Floyd, but I'm from Wisconsin and so Kenosha, what had happened there was really not far from where I lived and just wow. trying to process that emotionally and figuring out, okay, even if like 10 people watch this, at least they see just how much impact this has on everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just about, um, it, it ripples beyond this person mm -hmm. and to their family and to their immediate community, to everyone that their lives have touched and you don't realize that until after you're gone, just how many people you've impacted, um, positively, right. negatively, et cetera. And uh, I think had I not been open to trying like another hyphen, mm -hmm. right, of like virtual or remote filmmaking, I wouldn't have had the confidence to respond. And mm -hmm. is it like my best writing? No. Is it my best acting? No. But I, it was not something that could have lived in any other point of time. Um, which is what I think like is is so 
important about what you're saying is like there are these moments where if you don't capture them and you don't use all of the storytelling skills you have in your arsenal in that moment mm -hmm. you can't really recapture you can't put the genie back in the bottle mm -hmm. lydia renee you are amazing and i'm so glad to have this conversation where can we follow you on social media where can we do all that good stuff so i am at Lydia Renee Darling on all the things, no hyphens, no slashes, no nothing, no asterisks, no underscores. And my website's LydiaReneeDarling.com. Um, I also have my business, oh my gosh, creative.co. If you want to check out some of the work I do in terms of DEI, marketing, and co-production. And I also have a gram for Oh My Gosh Creative Co, which is at oh my gosh creative.co. <laughs> you are amazing. Everyone follow Lydia Renee Darling. She's amazing. And buy my book, How to Be the I've Been in the Theater Business. Buy the book. Buy it the is, book, everybody. The book. It's available <laughs> at the Drama Bookshop. It's available at on Amazon. It's available with Rutledge Publishing, Barnes and Nobles, online. And uh, please rate, comment, subscribe, do all the good stuff. And uh, see you in the UK. I can't wait to be back. Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. And because you can get your book at Rutilage, because Rutilage is in the UK. I've got it in the cart, babe. I've got it in the cart. In the cart! Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.